It's me, Dr. Z with JB. Today, John and I take a deep dive into how narcissistic abuse can contribute to complex post-traumatic stress disorder. We also explore the differences between complex post-traumatic stress disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder. We also look at the importance of support in the healing process. On a different note, I didn't mess up. Not one glitch. Go me. Hi, everybody. Welcome in. Welcome in. We're so excited you could join us here on another Sunday night. That is Dr. Z. I am John Barcher, JB. It is Dr. Z with JB. And thank you for everyone listening to the podcast. We see you. We appreciate that. Uh, subscribing, rating, reviewing, doing all those fun things, and especially leaving those uh, five stars and uh, wonderful words on uh, Apple Podcasts and all that stuff. Dr. Z, how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I am... Uh, I am exhausted and amazed and enthused all at once. Like, uh, yeah, just you know, it's pre- it's pretty much the week. I-, I thought today was Thursday. That was cool. So it is. Yeah. Oh, oh, I forgot. Well, happy Thursday. Uh, happy to, Thursday, to everybody that's in there tonight. And um, <laughs> we, uh, I, I, this actually tonight comes from uh, a, a suggestion again from uh, from one of our listeners and one of our uh, viewers there, and we really appreciate that. If at any time you want to slide into the dms and suggest something uh, i can't promise a, a, a response but uh uh i uh, i guarantee that uh we uh, we are uh, listening and watching to kind of everything that you guys are saying to us and uh one of those big subjects is kind of uh, uh post-traumatic syndrome and uh, the differences between like that and complex ptsd uh narcissistic abuse i think that's all kind of catering into uh, itself there um and especially go hand in hand with one another. I know that uh, a lot of the time trying to get out of those situations have been uh, have been tough and then dealing with the after effects that are certainly tough as well. So uh, Dr. Z, I, I know this is one of those terms that probably gets thrown around a lot uh, like anxiety and like everything else. It's just like, oh, geez, having such PTSD and it's just kind of mm-hmm. thrown out there like it's nothing. So um, right. I, uh, what what is PTSD? Like def- define it for us so we can we can start there. Yeah. So PTSD is, you know, when some people throw it around, they say, I have such PTSD, meaning I feel uncomfortable again because I went through this before and it sucked. That that's not PTSD. PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder is the result of a singular traumatic event, a car accident, um, you know, a tornado or, you know, any kind of um, a fire or uh, a death. And, and, the thing is, is that it doesn't have to be something that happened directly to you. It could have happened to somebody else and you either witnessed it or you are a very close relative, friend of the person who was in the traumatic situation. Um, and it's a distinct impairment in functioning due to the impact of that traumatic event on you. For example, um, you know, everybody's heard of flashbacks, which is kind of these um, intense, intrusive recollections of the event. It can be brought on by seeing something that reminds you of the traumatic event, hearing something, seeing somebody that looks like somebody maybe who did something to you. Smell is a huge trigger for people that they may not necessarily realize. Um, And people who experience PTSD develop something called extreme hypervigilance, which means they're constantly kind of on edge. They're easily startled. Um, 
they have a difficult time calming down. And there's a lot of reasons for that psychologically. Yes. But also, um, your nervous system is kind of shot. Um, and the parts of the brain that it impacts kind of causes that, um, that, that hypervigilance as well. And the other thing it does is it also causes avoidance of situations that have either triggered those reminders to you or have brought up those uncomfortable emotions. So a lot of times people with PTSD will avoid situations, not necessarily that, may, that remind them of it, but avoid situations where that similar feeling comes up. Again, it's not, remember, and we talked about this before, it's not necessarily avoidance of situations or things. It's avoidance of the discomfort that you don't want to have. So people will avoid people, places, things that make them feel similar to how they felt in the traumatic event. So there's a lot of avoidance, a lot of hypervigilance, um, nightmares, intrusive thoughts, flashbacks. Sometimes people describe it as dissociating where you're kind of here, but you're not, right? Um, And it can definitely impact relationships going forward for sure. But the biggest thing to keep in mind is that it is the result of a singular traumatic event that either happened directly to you or happened to somebody else that you're close with or, you know, something that you witnessed, like witnessing a car accident. And what is like very close to PTSD or similar to that might be misdiagnosed initially if you were you know just starting out in therapy or just along the line you got told bad information what's something that's really really close to ptsd aside from complex ptsd aside from the complex part of it um depression obviously because major depression um you know people who with complex or people with ptsd definitely have symptoms of depression obviously um so depression panic attacks because sometimes you know people will have and you know experience recurring panic attacks in those situations um bipolar disorder and this is one that just this is my pet peeve because bipolar disorder (laughs) um the reason why they may say that if they're not familiar with kind of the nuances of the symptoms they may see that that mood lability or mood swings or difficulty regulating your affect which means difficulty um I was going to say modulating your affect, but that still won't work. <laughs> Difficulty um, having a kind of stable base. Yeah. yeah. So kind of, you know, really angry and then crying and then um, quiet and then laughing. And so, it, it, you know, people say like, oh, she's so bipolar, right? Or her moods are all over the place. That's, that's not bipolar disorder. We talked about that before. It's a very small component. It still doesn't even look like that. Um, so that happens a lot as well, for sure. And then you mentioned complex PTSD, which I didn't even know was a thing. I didn't know that, mm-hmm. that there's a mm-hmm. kind of another level of, of going to that. So I, if you're saying that PTSD is a singular event, I'm guessing that complex is multiple or just an yes. incredibly traumatic situation. Is that yes. the case? Not incredibly traumatic because okay. that could still be a singular event. So gotcha. like 9-11, for example, is mm-hmm. not complex. Um so the, the main difference between the two is that PTSD, like I said, is a singular event, regardless of how bad it was. That's not the differentiating factor. The differentiating factor is complex PTSD is a chronic, longstanding exposure to a traumatic event. So the most common one is childhood abuse. And the child, and P, CPTSD is way more common in those that had childhood abuse. And that could be neglect, 
sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. However, and this is what I see a lot in, in, especially in females who are misdiagnosed with PTSD or misdiagnosed with depression, um, is this complex PTSD in domestic violence situations. So in particular, a marriage with a narcissist, right? Or dating a narcissist where they are repeatedly exposed to large traumatic situations, small traumatic situations, or just daily, you know, insults and manipulation and gaslighting and, you know, all of those things common in narcissism. And it's the culmination of those events over a lifetime or over a marriage or even over six months that results in complex PTSD. Um, it, it, and I'll, we can get into the, the nuances of the differences, but but for now, the biggest thing is complex PTSD is a culmination of chronic, can be really tiny, but over the course of time has a real significant impact on you. And, uh, and I, I do want to come back to the, the some, yeah, like you said, maybe some of those nuances with the, with the complex PTSD, but you also mentioned uh, narcissistic abuse in, in that, which is one of the things we certainly want to cover tonight as well. Is, mm-hmm. is most abuse that we see, and, the, and especially what you described, coming from a narcissistic nature? I mean, there is no, I, I, forgive uh, the way I'm putting this, but there's no accidental abuse. or le- like there, I, I wouldn't expect someone with a lot of empathy to, to have an abusive track for a certain amount of time. But is there a difference between regular and narcissistic abuse? Yes, there is. Um, you could have somebody that has a drug or alcohol problem. And as a result, is physically abusive or emotionally abusive. You could have somebody who has bipolar disorder or, you know, a longstanding history of anxiety and depression that impacts the child over time. Not necessarily a deliberate, manipulative, um, knows what they're doing, doesn't give a shit type abuse, if that makes sense. Definitely. Um, So there is a difference between the two. Not all abuse is done by a narcissist. Some are done by, you know, again, people that have PTSD themselves or have really um, horrible views of relationships themselves or parents that, you know, even in situations, let's say, where there's poverty, right? And, um, you know, there's, there's parents that are nobody's home with the children because both parents have to work really long, late hours. Um, and the child as a result has a lot of neglect, but not purposeful neglect. It's not that the parents are deliberately leaving their child home, not giving a shit that their child is home. Um, they're probably tortured by this. Right. So, but that child could grow up, you know, with some type of symptoms of, you know, having been abused, even though it's not intentional in any way. So, um, short answer, no. It's not always narcissistic. And then what, um, what does narcissistic abuse look and, look and feel like? I mean, I, we, we kind of went through narcissism. There's you know, yeah. two parts it's, of that, certainly, if you want to go back and listen to it. But what does that look like? It's brutal. Um, it's hard to put into words. And for those that have experienced it and, you know, thinking about what my patients have told me and, you know, um, it's absolutely rocks you to your core. Um, it is different in the sense of it's not these, I mean, it it does include this too, these blowout, you know, separate abuse instances where you can actively point to them. That does happen, but that's not the part that's most damaging. What's most damaging are the small occurrences 
over time where your self-concept, your self-identity, your view of yourself and the world around you is completely and totally stripped away until you feel like a shell of yourself, which is why it's so hard to get out of these relationships because imagine leaving a relationship where you weren't allowed to work, so you have no income, or you were working, but the other person is totally in charge of the finances and you're experiencing what's called financial abuse, right? Um, gaslighting, being told that everything you say, you're crazy, you're nuts, you know, you need help, you need therapy. Um, silent treatments, random silent treatments for no apparent reason. Um, things like just absolutely flying off the handle at your spouse because a dish was put in the dishwasher wrong, but yesterday that dish in the dishwasher was completely fine. So it's this constant instability. People, you know, even simple things like going out to dinner with another couple and that person having such intense anxiety and fear that their significant other is going to do something, right? And that significant other knows that and they use that power um, over their partner to make them uncomfortable the whole time. So um, it's very, very traumatizing. It's extremely um, debilitating, paralyzing. And again, it's really hard to put into words until you sit and you hear these stories that people tell you and you see it for yourself. But um, it's brutal. It's definitely brutal. Yeah. And in in seeing it from like, especially the, the, psychological abuse standpoint from that it is it's in it is very incredibly destabilizing to even like watch someone in a if, probably experience it three or four times to walk out of that situation and try and reconstruct themselves to you know I, you can't do it without therapy you you apps it's the one thing i will i will say and i mean this and you cannot reshift refocus develop healthier patterns without somebody objective helping you because you are so locked into this narcissistic abuse cycle. You can't get better within that. And you don't have the ability to be objective to it because it has penetrated you like to the depths of your core. So you need somebody that's outside of you pulling you out of this or else you will just repeat this cycle with somebody that you go, you know, you're, you're with next time. It, they may look totally different. They may look super sweet and easy and, and, you know, loving and calm and just easy. But the problem is, is that it's also the opposite, but the underlying stuff is still the same. You just haven't seen it yet. And so you really have to have somebody pull you out of it to be able to do that. And what um, is there a, a a lot of warning signs that maybe you could help tell people of like if you are I know you gave a couple of great examples, but if you are telling yourself one way, if you're feeling a certain way that you know you you shouldn't like, what are those what are those things? What is what does that look like uh, when you're when red you're, flags when you start dating somebody? Yeah, like or, big, big time, or just it, you're you realize you suddenly realize that you're just you're you've been you know. You, the light kind of shined on, turned on. That's is the, there is there any the point you, in time? That's the thing. You don't. They don't. They don't realize it. That's yeah. the problem. People. People don't realize that they are in this. 
that's that's the part that makes it so difficult is that they will sooner go to therapy because mm-hmm. they think they're crazy, they're depressed and they're anxious. And that's how I get people. I don't get people that come into me and say, my husband or my wife is a narcissist and I'm experiencing narcissistic abuse and have complex PTSD. They're coming in saying I'm having marital issues and I'm really stressed. And then I work with it and I, I figure it out pretty quickly. Right. Um, and once they see it, once they get it and they see it, you don't unsee it. And that's the beauty of, and this is where you have to go to a psychologist that is, is fluent in the nuances of narcissism, because if they're not, they will miss it and they may make suggestions, understandably so, to, you know, maybe go to couples therapy with your significant, try a date night, you know, th- no, <laughs> get out, <laughs> get out. Um, and it's very invalidating to that, to that person. So, um, it's important to find somebody who is fluent in the nuances of narcissism. And once the person sees it, it's like this light bulb moment goes off and they start to see it everywhere. And when that starts to happen, then they can very slowly start to make a very calculated and careful plan to get out of the relationship safely. And this may take a week. This may take five years. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It depends on the situation. It depends on their safety. Um, are their kids, are they married, are they not, you know, that kind of stuff. So it really depends. As long as their goal is to get out, it's great. There is no fixing this. So anybody that thinks that they're in a relationship like this and you think it's going to get better, it won't. I don't even need to know you to tell you that. (laughs) Um, It will only get worse and you will get more sucked in. And it is extremely scary. You feel like you will never get out. But I promise you that if you work with somebody who understands this and knows the nuances, they will be able to help you get out. You may go back five times. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But there is going to be a final time where you don't go back anymore. The good, and again, the beauty of this, if I can say anything positive about it, is that once you see it, you don't unsee it. And mm-hmm. I can tell you from my patients or friends or people that have been through this that I know, once they have that moment, forget it. Yes. There is no going back. And it's very empowering. And and speaking of hearing it and then not being able to unhear it, uh, any therapist worth assault. And this is the this is <laughs> this phrase. Get out. Uh, what you said. Try a date night. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care if I'm not coming in for narcissism, PTSD, whatever. If you say try a date night to me, leave. That therapist <laughs> is not worth a shit. Leave. It's a just, I don't know what to tell you, and they throw something in the air. Like, I'm just being honest with you. Leave immediately. Maybe ask for a refund at that point and, and ask, did you seriously just ask me to go on a date with, you know, this current situation? So I just wanted to put that in there, too. Um, so, yes, like, it is, and, and I know, I, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I, I understand, like, it is so hard to take those baby steps uh, on your way out of of mm-hmm. any of these things but uh, specifically and I, and we definitely covered some of that and I do want to recommend those first and second parts in our podcast feed if you missed those at any point cuz we we dive in real deep about the narcissism part but the the post part we've kind of figured it out yeah. a little bit and and now okay we're we're healing and yes we're we're so that's the thing. You're not heal- you're not healing for a very long, long time. No. Right. Yeah, no. Yeah. That's the thing too is when you get out of the relationship, people think that's when the healing starts. To be honest with you, that's when that's when it gets 
really, really, excuse my language, just fucking uncomfortable and just so difficult because now you're able to be objective. You're out of the relationship. That's all you've known. You don't know anything else other than feeling like crap. You have no self-concept, no sense of self. You have to literally start over. Start over from scratch of who you are as a human being. Imagine being 50 years old and not knowing what your favorite music is, Mm. what your favorite ice cream is, what your favorite Mm. piece of clothing is because you were told you weren't allowed to wear certain things. You... What your favorite foods are because you were told you had to eat this, this, and this. You know, you may be a night owl, but you were told you had to go to bed. Who knows, right? right. You, may, you, may, you may be attracted to women, but you've been with this. You literally have no idea who you are until you yeah. get out. And so that's really difficult. Um, everyone has a core sense of self, obviously. But what a narcissist does is strips it away over time. And just, you know, so you are left with this emptiness and the mm-hmm. shell of your former self. Um, And so when you get out and you're in therapy, that's when you start to remember, oh my God, yeah, that, oh my God, that happens. And oh my God, that's what this is. And oh my God, that's what this is. And it all starts come rushing back. Now you have to remember for X amount of years or months, you were in a situation where if you felt something bad, you were told you were crazy. You were told you were wrong. um, You were told you were, um, you know, annoying or whatever it was. So you've learned to kind of stuff, 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 stuff down. Now that you're out of that and you're being forced to sit with all of this shit, you have zero emotion coping strategies, none. So you better make sure that you are with a therapist that not only understands this, but doesn't start pulling this out of you until you have strategies to deal with this because then you won't go back. Um, it's too painful. So I tell people this healing process, leaving narcissistic abuse when there's complex PTSD, which we'll talk about in a second is really difficult and difficult in a different way than being in the relationship. In the relationship, you were numb. Mm -hmm. Now that you're out of this relationship, you're going to start to feel everything. And it's so, so scary and overwhelming. And you're not out of this relationship in every way possible. If you're married or you're getting divorced and you have children, you're forever dealing with this. So yeah. the goal isn't to, you know, the goal is to co-parent by setting serious boundaries with them. Um, you know, you're going to have to deal with them in court. And so there's a lot of legal stuff. Attorneys don't understand this. The court system doesn't understand this. So it's extremely difficult, which is why I really recommend having a psychologist while you go through this. Um, and and because if you, by the way, if you don't, you're going to try and chase everything to squash that feeling away without trying to deal with it. And that's just mm-hmm. true. Like you're going to, that could eventually lead to who knows what pills taken down a bottle. Oh, it's, it's, it's just, it's oh, just a- automatic. Absolutely. It's almost automatic. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is why a lot of times when you see people get out of these traumatic situations, they are at very high risk for, for if nothing else, suicidal thoughts, but they are at a high risk for that because now they're out of this relationship with this very, altered perception of their abuser because, you know, it's not like your abuser you automatically hate. There is a lot of this weird, I miss my abuser. Why do I miss them? Right. Or, you know, I, I, I'm jealous that they're with somebody else. Why am I jealous? They were horrible. So there's all these mixed emotions that come out of it, which are all absolutely normal, but it's not like you're out of it and the healing begins. You're out of it and that's when you feel everything. That's when you start to realize what you have been through for so long that you didn't notice. There is so much guilt. There is so much shame. 
there's embarrassment. Um, you know, it, it's, it, and not only do you have to work on that, you also have to work on maybe now you need to work. Maybe now, you know, you need to take care of your kids more because a narcissist doesn't really care about their children. So custody, they don't really care, except they want to say they want custody because it looks good for them legally in the court system, but they, they could care less. Um, and yes, I'm saying this about their children. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's very ongoing. If you're in a relationship where you're not married, you're dating and you break up after a year, two years, three years, it's easier to do that post process, but a narcissist is never really fully done with you, even after they discard you because they don't look at you as a human being with emotions where they don't care about you anymore. What, what happens is they look at you as an object and you had a purpose to them. And so even though you're not with them anymore, chances are at some point they're going to come back to you. And this is where I cannot stress enough. They're not coming back to you because they realize they fucked up and made a mistake and they love you. They are not coming back to you because they miss you. They're coming back to you because they feel like messing with you because they don't have another source of fuel to get from. Maybe the person they were sleeping with is on vacation. Maybe they're just bored. Um, Maybe they lost their job and so they feel really defeated. So they're going to mess with you a little bit. So they take you off your shelf, up the shelf, play with you for a little bit and put you back up. So if with a narcissist, you leave that door the tiniest bit open, they're going to come back and they're going to do it in ways that make you think that they changed. They're going to use that love bombing stage again because that's what sucked you in last time. Um, it's not for the same reasons that we would want to get back together with somebody because we miss them or, oh, no, you know, no. no. So, um, it's and, different. And I also want to point out that they ruined flowers too. Damn it. All the narcissists took all the, the flowers away for like, you know, because <laughs> there's not one narcissist done use flowers. Like every single time it's just flowers for sorry, flowers for sorry, flowers for sorry. So I just, you know, they're ruining for everybody well, else. And, that, and that's what happens. They, you know, that's <laughs> when they make a mistake or they, you know, comes to. flip okay. out or they, they hit you or they, you know, completely just berate you and embarrass you. Yeah. They may come back the next day with gorgeous jewelry. Or whatever and then it is. what yeah. you have, right. And then what you have is you have all, you have this closet full of bags and jewelry and flowers and gifts and you're looking at it and you feel guilty because you have it, but then you'll get abused more if you don't accept it. Yep. And then you just have this constant reminder of, you know, almost like how unable you are to stand up for yourself. Cause they're not getting you these things cause they, they want to apologize. They're just getting you these things so it's that they you, do just, to get back in. you just yeah. shut up. Yeah, right. Exactly. And you stop crying and you stop arguing and you just, you know, shut it down. Yeah. Um, so, oh, Laura's pointing out, uh, long, uh, oh, I'm cutting it out, sorry, long apology, I get emails with uh, detailed point yes, of errors for improvements. Yes, 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 <laughs> Like a work They will email. send you these, yeah, they, yes, long texts and emails and it's just all word salad and Best none regards. of it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and you just, you just block them. That's why when I say when the people leave, they have a hard time just cutting them out. But this is why you have to cut them out because they will absolutely come back in. But not, and sometimes people want them to come back in because they want to see if they'll miss them. But they're not coming back in because they miss you. They never loved you. No. So they can't miss you. Which is a really hard thing to accept. Horrible. 
horrible. An incredibly when hard I, thing to that, That's the one thing that, especially with women, that I have such a hard time, like, it's different because I'm talking to you and then, but when, like, when I'm working <laughs> with a patient and I have to be, and they ask me like, well, did they ever love me? And I say, no, they never loved you. They never loved anybody. They're incapable of it. There's no empathy. There's no remorse. It will never change. Then they start thinking about all the times and raising children with them and all this stuff. And it's really, really upsetting to know that for this significant chunk of your life, you wasted so much energy into yeah. somebody that just wasn't there. And Traumatic, they, some might say. Yes, yeah. it is. It, I mean, it really is. Imagine your level of trust is just completely broken. Well, and yeah. and they also get pissed at themselves because they worked so hard to make this work with somebody who didn't ever give a shit in the first place, which is, in my opinion, would would make like talk about rage would make me enraged. A literal waste of time is in yes. sitting in front of you. Yeah. Enraged. Yeah, a- absolutely I, enraged. Yeah. Like. Can't we work into the law somehow that like you can three or four tackles from a narcissist, you know, like you can tackle a narcissist three or four times and it's okay? Can we write that in? I mean, listen, (laughs) they'll think though that, you know, they, they, they wouldn't even care about that. Right. They would say you're crazy. You know, they would go Yeah. And then the worst part about it is when they find somebody else right after the relationship, because they will, because there's a ton of infidelity. And if you think they didn't cheat on you, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'm putting a blanket statement out there. They always have people in the wings, whether they have porn addiction, whether they are sleeping with someone else, finding people online, going on business trips, whatever. There is all of that. And so when they break up with you, there is not this period of with nobody. They are always with somebody, even if it's just sex with a prostitute or sex with a friend or who, whoever, right. someone they meet one night at a bar. There's always somebody and they're waiting in the wings, which is why it looks like they rebound so fast. Mm-hmm. It's not that they found somebody. This person, they were, they were lingering. They were always there just in a different capacity. So what happens is they have these new significant others and the love bombing starts again. So here you have this person who is battered, bruised, (laughs) emotionally, physically, exhausted, traumatized, just done. And you have your ex Mm -hmm. blasting it on social media because that's what they do, telling everybody that they're in this amazing relationship, showing everybody, showing them off, bringing them to events. And you're watching this going, you've got to be kidding me. Mm How come I was like this and she's getting X, Y, and Z or he's getting X, Y, and Z? You have to remember, that's love bombing. They will not be different. That will change. That will switch. Who knows when, but I, but I bet my house on it that it will. And it'll never go back to that. And so you have to remember, it's not that they're being different with somebody else. They're literally doing the same exact cycle they did with you. You may just not remember it. They're just starting the cycle over again with somebody else. Yep, That's That's it. it It's not new. It's just they're starting the cycle again. If you've been with someone for 
10 years, 20 years, or, you know, five years, you may forget that that's what it was like. And so when you see that with somebody else, you forget that's the start of a new cycle. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, you know, that doesn't include you, thankfully. Yeah. And most are, are going to try and beat you to the punch, uh, you know, for that next lily pad or that whatever. Mm-hmm. And once they get once they're done with you and trying to move on and, yeah. you know, to make you feel that way, too. Um, I, I guess the. You know, and, and certainly you've already said it, therapy has to go along side by side with this when you're doing it. Um, what, I, I guess where, what, what would be the, those next steps in in trying to find out like that that healthier version of you? And like you were saying, uh-huh. like you know, I, if you have limited resources and don't know what favorite, your favorite music is, like where what would you start doing? Well. If I'm the if I'm the psychologist or the patient, if you're the patient, yeah. If I'm the patient, um, you have to have somebody objective, and you have to probably have somebody help you find, or not not find a psychologist, but like kind of navigate your way after this because you're going to need somewhere to live. You're going to need help with your kids. You're going to need a lawyer. You're going to have to deal with all this. So you really do need support. That's the number one thing. The problem with support is that if you've been with a narcissist for a significant period of time, chances are over the years, they have managed to isolate you from so many people, friends in particular, especially the ones that knew their bullshit. So they will slowly start to isolate you over time. So by the time you leave, you may not speak to family members anymore. You may not have any friends. Your friends may all be their friends. Your closest parent may be their parents. So you really need to make sure that you you seek out people. And here's the thing. Even if you're out of touch with someone and you you dropped them because of you know what you went through and you didn't realize that's what it was just kind of like that, you know, oh that Jamie girl, I don't I don't trust her, that friend of yours from college. I don't know about her. <laughs> she makes too many uh, prince references. I don't know about her. Yeah. Um, right. So I think that um, you have to remember that these people that are that you've isolated yourself from are so concerned about you and have been so concerned. This isn't just someone spending all this time with their boyfriend and leaving their friends and the friends getting pissed and things like that. This is different. The people on the outside, they're concerned for you. They miss you. They want you out of this. And so if you leave, you need to remember that most people, and maybe not most for you, maybe it's one person, but there will be somebody who does take you and helps you with this. It may not be a close friend. It could be, a, it could be someone at work you know, that you feel safe talking to. It doesn't have to be a friend or a family member. It could be your neighbor. It could be like the person who does your hair. And, and I kid you not, I just, they just went and I, I, I had um, my hairdresser tell me this, or one of the women there, that oftentimes um, hairdressers or estheticians, they have to get some sort of training, they were telling me, in being able to identify domestic violence. And I think that's super interesting because think about it. You're in a safe space with somebody right here uh. who doesn't know your life from a hole in the wall. It's, you would be amazed. They probably hear more than I do, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and so you can really go to anybody um, to help kind of pull you out. So that would be the first step. Second step is therapy. You absolutely cannot get out of this cycle post-breakup alone. You have to find somebody who understands narcissism. Because remember, you may not even know this person's a narcissist. You may just think they're an asshole. And, and listen, a breakup with an asshole looks very different than a breakup with a narcissist. You have to remember that. So you need to 
first realize that it's a narcissist. And, and when that happens, you know, make sure that the person that you're seeing is familiar with that. Um, make sure they assess you for complex PTSD. Make sure they understand that this is not PTSD. There is a very big difference uh, from, a, from the psychological yes, standpoint. Yes. Um, you know, treatment-wise, medication-wise, medication-wise is the same. Treatment-wise, it is a little bit different. Um, remember, PTSD is an isolated event. Complex PTSD is over time. Um, and again, complex PTSD is way more common in children who have experienced abuse, who continuously will end up in situations that re-traumatize them because their patterns set them up for that um, unknowingly. But see, but complex PTSD is also very common in those like, that we're talking about, narcissistic abuse or yeah. you know, domestic violence over years. So um, well, and, and uh, real quick, because the uh, complex PTSD, I want to I want to uh, keep on that track, too. It's relatively a newer term as well, right? Like, did it did it have did it have a different term before this? Was it lumped no, in with something else? No. So what happened was it's not recognized in the DSM, and in fact, PTSD. What's a um, DSM? I'm sorry. It is pretty much the Bible of psychiatric disorders. Ah, okay. Sorry, got you. Got you. Yes, yes. It's a big, thick book with every single diagnosis under the sun. So, <laughs> with a lot of words I don't understand. Correct. Got it. Okay. Correct. So. Um, it just says diagnosis, asshole. No. <laughs> Maybe you. <Yeah. laughs> Maybe you. <laughs> um, so it's PTSD was before a, you know, just post-traumatic stress disorder as a diagnosis. Now in this newer edition, things are more based on a, I'm not going to get into this because it doesn't matter. Before they were symptom checklists, right? Now they're kind of on this continuum um, of like a spectrum of symptoms almost. Wow. So PTSD um, is is recognized as a diagnosis. Complex PTSD is not. But what happens was what people were were realizing was that, and I don't know, impress me what year or when this happens, but um, well, there's a pop quiz at the end, so you better be ready. I fail. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I was a bad student. <laughs> that makes <laughs> two good. of us. Yeah, shocker, right? Good. Yeah. Yeah, shocker. Um, so. Go Bucks. And um, <laughs> so PTSD alone was no was not adequate to address the complexities of complex PTSD for many reasons. And so a lot of um, psychologists, psychiatrists felt that it just didn't tackle what these people were coming in with. It just didn't fit. A lot of the symptoms overlap, but the hallmark, the, the foundation at the core was very, very different. And PTSD wasn't really explaining that well. So that's where kind of complex PTSD comes into play. Um, and I'm sure oftentimes it was misdiagnosis, borderline personality disorder, misdiagnosis, bipolar disorder. Um, but it, it is very different than them, and it's different than PTSD, again, from oh. a core perspective. Interesting. Where does it cross over with a borderline, uh, borderline personality disorder? That's interesting. Yeah. So borderline personality disorder, um, and again, this is, these are nuances, so right. I'm not expecting people to be like, oh, yes, I, you know. <laughs> um, so borderline personality disorder, for those of you that don't know, is a pervasive personality style that is, well, they used to have personality disorder. I'm sounding like such a dork. They used to have personality what else disorders. Is new? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it was a softball. I had to. I'm so sorry. We like your dorkiness. What are you talking about? Why are you hiding it? That's why we're here. Good Lord. Okay, so 
Borderline personality disorder is a pervasive personality style. And in the older DSMs, it was lumped into what was called cluster B. Cluster B includes borderline personality disorder, um, narcissistic personality disorder, um, antisocial personality disorder, for those of you watching, does not mean people who don't like other people. Antisocial personality disorder is used, the words used wrong all the time. It's, mm-hmm. not being, it's not being shy, that's social anxiety. Antisocial personality disorder is where you get joy and pleasure out of murdering, harming, killing animals. It's t- totally different. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's different. So it's, it's the same thing as sociopathic. So um, borderline personality disorder is a pervasive personality style where, yes, a lot of people... <laughs> Kim, I'm sorry. That's such a. She goes, Can you rename the podcast Dork with Bloopers? <laughs> <laughs> yes. We are going to take that under consideration, Kim. Thank you. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm going to go now. Okay. <laughs> I can't finish my sentence. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <clears throat> Professionals. Right. Professionals. Okay. Professionals. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. yes. Okay. Okay. All right. So, borderline personality disorder, pervasive pattern of unstable sense of self, unstable core concept. Yes, many people with borderline personality disorder have a history of abuse, but it is not necessary. Um, and this is where it kind of blurs the line. Um, borderline personality disorder is is characterized by very impulsive behaviors, um, self-harming, self-sabotaging, very kind of manipulative type behaviors, an extreme fear, irrational and misperceived fear of abandonment. Okay. So yeah. somebody breaks up with them, they may try to harm themselves or they may, you know, kind of, you know, get very kind of obsessive and not be able to get this person off their mind. What they also do is something called idealizing and devaluing. So I have, I, this is how, this is a, for, for those of you on here that are psychologists or, you know, therapists, you will, you will understand this. When I have somebody called to schedule an appointment and they say, I have been through like 20 therapists and I can tell, and speaking to me for 30 seconds, you are the best. You are going to fix me. You are amazing. You're the greatest thing ever. My other therapist sucked. And then that literally could change within 30 seconds because they say something that that doesn't sit well with them or offends them. And now all of a sudden you suck. So it's this very idealizing, devaluing, unstable view of relationships and of others. Um, And... And there's reasons for that, obviously, you know, that they kind of develop that because usually in their upbringing, they experience that. This is the kind of push-pull, you can trust me, no, you can't, you're safe, no, you're not. So, you know, I'm not saying, I don't mean it lightly when I say that this is what they do, but that's how they approach all relationships. So they self-sabotage creating that abandonment on their Mm. own. They push people away. I can kind of hear the crossover where that might be somewhat confusing when you get into that complex PSD because yes I'm a, so I'll tell you oh, the I'm difference sorry, though between the two mm-hmm. yes <laughs> you should should be sorry so <laughs> so I took notes because I didn't want to forget what I had to say <laughs> oh see oh, I'm and really throwing you off oh my goodness okay, okay yeah so so complex PTSD the difference is is when they avoid people they're doing it because they feel worthless. They feel they're undeserving of love, that they are completely unlovable. Um, There is so much guilt and so much worthlessness because in their upbringing of the trauma they experienced, 
they were taught over and over and over again that they are unlovable by these small continued traumas over time. So the main difference with the pushing people away is borderline personality disorder has to do more with this fear of abandonment, loving the person, hating the person, having this very high and low um, self-sabotaging behavior. No core self-concept. So it's like a chameleon. It's like whoever they're with at the time, they kind of take on that person's interests and take on that person's ideas, that person's personality, their style, because they're kind of this void. And so whoever they kind of are around is, is what they take on. They take on other people's emotions. Whereas complex PTSD, you don't have that lack of self-concept as much. They, they have their self-concept. It's just they feel worthless and they feel gross and horrible and terrible, but they, they know who they are if that makes sense. They, yes. they identify as worthless, right? Whereas someone with borderline personality disorder, there is, there is no self-concept going on. So they have to kind of work, work through that. That, uh, I really appreciate you explaining that because there is, uh, is it, I, I was going to mention, is there something in like the, the flashback aspect of that complex PTSD, which could also, I guess, look like that personality yeah. disorder in a sense. Yeah. So there are definitely um, flashbacks that occur, intrusive mm-hmm. thoughts, emotion dysregulation. So your inability to kind of regulate your emotions, kind of these highs and lows, which is different than devaluing, idealizing high and low emotions. Whereas you're easily triggered by something, you're very hyper aroused. You're very on edge, and that's common in both. So you will you will see that. You will see flashbacks. You will experience flashbacks. You will have difficulty sleeping, difficulty concentrating. That's all very common. But the, the, the main difference is CPTSD is, is driven more by, by shame and, and kind of worthlessness, whereas PTSD is driven more by fear, mm. um, kind of abandonment, stuff like that. So they look though. So that's how PTSD and CPSD are different, but borderline personality disorder overlaps much more with CPSD. CPTSD. That uh, yeah, that that makes uh, that makes a ton of sense too. Um, if you are kind of like that that support person with either PTSD complex PTSD, mm-hmm. what should you be doing? Because that's uh, I you know uh, as some has pointed out. I mean, you could be doing a lot of a lot of harm too if you're in trying to support or or thinking you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, more good, but you're actually doing harm. So, what, what, as a supportive person, should you be doing, and what's your, what's your role in this if you're taking that on? Yeah, um, non-judgmental is the biggest thing because these these individuals have been judged, criticized, um, told they're crazy, told they're worthless for years. So, you want to? It's not your job to reshape them because you, that takes a whole different thing to, to do. So I would, (laughs) it's not your job. I would, um, be extremely non-judgmental. And the biggest thing is believe them, please. Um, even if it sounds absurdly, insanely crazy, believe them because I'm telling you, I've been doing this for a long time. And just when you think you have heard the most disturbing situation in, narcissistic abuse, complex PTSD. I promise you, you haven't. And the worst thing in the world, which is why I strongly discourage couples therapy. If you're with a narcissist, the worst thing you can do is 
try to kind of invalidate that person's story by saying, are you sure that's what happens? Like, I don't, I feel like they wouldn't do that. They're not that bad. They are that bad. And you want to believe them. What's the harm in believing them? Maybe they're overreacting. Maybe they're exaggerating. But in these situations, they're really not. Mm -mm. So you need no judgment. You need to believe them. Because even if the situation, the way they say it happened, didn't happen, that's their perception of it. Because remember, their perceptions is so skewed, not their fault, but so skewed because they've been told over time that they're crazy and they're wrong. So they doubt what they're, you know, what they're thinking. Um, You want to make sure that they're not alone. It's really important to just kind of be there, let them know that you're there, even emotionally. You don't have to be physically present, but that they're not alone, that you are there for them. You're not going anywhere. Um, It's really the support that that is super, super important in these situations, more so really than anything else. uh, Feminist therapy, Ellie, is to ask them how they feel and what they think. They haven't been asked to share their own insights and feelings for a long time. I think that's a good point, too. Yeah, just be careful with that one initially because they don't know what they're thinking and feeling because they haven't been allowed to. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's super important, and I agree with that, but I think that it's important to do that when when they have the skill sets to be able to handle the The absolute Mm -hmm. panic and fear that's going to come up when they discuss those things. So yes, I completely agree, but not initially. Um, Agrees all all across the board with that one. That's fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, but absolutely. And on the flip side of that, I guess, like what are some of the absolute mistakes that people make in trying to handle PTSD, complex PTSD, like what are, what are some of the, from a fr- from like a support network standpoint, uh, uh, from that and on, and honestly, from the patient standpoint and like, what are, what are some common mistakes in trying to fix it? Um, or, or they don't want to go, a lot of times they don't want to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. I mean, to bring all that stuff up with no skill sets in place yet is re re traumatizing. You have to go back through all that, but the difference is you're going back through all that in a safe space, whereas before you were living it in not a safe space. So the the um, you know it, um, reinforcing of that safe space, reinforcing because that's when stories are told in yeah. safe spaces, um, meaning the person you're with, not the like literal environment, but you know feeling safe is when your stories are told. Um, so oftentimes, what you see, people don't want to go to therapy. They don't trust anybody. Can't blame them. Um, they often don't have a lot of finances at the moment because chances are there was a lot of financial abuse. So they probably don't have access to funds because they haven't gone through the divorce process yet. And so in the interim, chances are their partner's not being fair. (laughs) Absolutely. And I tell you what, uh, it might sound ridiculous and maybe you don't recommend this, but if you're in that support group and you got a little extra money, break them off immediately. That would be very helpful. You know, as long as they're not <laughs> using it to harm themselves and you know that yeah. and you can trust them to do that yeah. and all that stuff. Very, very big disclaimer there. But yeah, yeah, send them 100 bucks if you can or 50 bucks, 20 bucks, five, yes. whatever. Yes. Give us give them some money. I mean, listen, like not with my patients, but in other, you know, other yeah. people, other situations, you know, if they need financial help and you can do it, you do you, you do it because they may not even be able to buy food. Right. I mean, they, and they may have their kids with them and the narcissist could care less. They will have no money. They'll be at like a zero bank. account. They'll be negative bank. They'll run your credit cards up. They don't care. They'll cut your credit cards off. They'll cut your bank account off. They'll change passwords. Um, so 
there's that aspect. The other is a lot of times you will see suicidal thoughts. You'll see self-harming behavior because leaving that relationship, the person ends up being at very high risk. Um, so there's that. You also have to keep in mind that the pain that they're feeling and knowing what they have to do to get better and thinking of how the hell am I going to relive all this and tell somebody they're never going to understand they didn't live it. Um, there's a lot of substance abuse, drinking, pills, you know, other types of drugs and, you know, and, and they're doing it because they don't have any other strategies at that time. They will, but they don't have any other strategies to get rid of it. And they're scared. They are petrified. They may be in another location, but who's to say the narcissist isn't going to show up banging at 3am on their door because that happens often. Um, if they hear you're dating somebody, I mean, there's so many levels to this. And the biggest thing is safety, um, emotionally, physically, safety of kids, safety for yourself. Um, and you know, it's just, there's a lot of risky behavior that happens afterwards. And, and again, because this person has such missed signals about love and trust and all of that, what also happens is, and you wouldn't expect this, but it's, it's quite common. Their only means of connecting with the opposite sex was usually either very traumatic arguing, abuse, or sex. Yep. And so sex was their way to kind of, you know, as traumatizing as it was, that's what they know. Um, and so you see a lot of promiscuous sex post-breakup, which a lot of times is like to other people, they're like, I don't, what, why? Why you, are you over them that fast? Or why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you, it's, and it's self-sabotaging behavior um, because it's a pattern they're familiar with is kind of this associating that with sex. And so yeah. there's a lot of that type of behavior. And again, like I said, drinking, drugs, all for the purpose of avoiding that stuff that's starting to come up. Yeah. And- Isolation. Isolation oh, big- is another huge mm-hmm. one. Because you have to remember, too, not only do they not have coping skills, but they also probably have really limited social skills because they were told, you need to act like this in front of this person. We are only going out with these people. You can only say this. You're not allowed to this because one of the things narcissists do is they hold information and they are the owners of the information and they will only tell you what they want you to know and when you can say it. <laughs> and so, it is the weirdest habit of all time. Yeah, <laughs> and so and so you go out in social situations, you have no idea how to act at a restaurant because you're you're nervous you're going to say the wrong thing, but the threat's not there anymore. You're nervous you're going to anger someone because you're used to you put your fork the wrong direction, you get yelled at. So like there's a lot of that. And so it's just, it's, this is why therapy is so necessary because it has really impacted every yeah. aspect of their lives. And it's so sad and it's so upsetting. And it's why I love doing this work because when they start to see the patterns and they start to get that feeling of empowerment, and then eventually they get to the point where they look at the, the narcissist behavior and they think it's pathetic. That's when you know you're in a good place. Yes. That's yeah. when you know. Yeah. And when you can start laughing at their behavior, yes, you're in a great correct. place. Correct. Exactly. You're in a fantastic exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly um, right. And I know that there's and and what's awesome is here live. It just seems like there's a, a ton of support, and obviously, unfortunately, a lot of people have been through this too. So, um, I, I think it's I think it's great that everybody comes in here is very open about their situation as well, and even Italian Mama, who's saying. 
the divorce process has been horrible. It's been horrible. hell. It's been. It's horrible. I want to keep saying, keep horrible. Chop, if you just keep yes. chopping the wood, this is the last time you will feel at this. It is going to end. Yeah. Like this is the last gasp of. Uh, that's what I know. A lot of people use this, and I, I thought it was very good to just keep that positive mindset. Is it's the last time I'm going to feel this way. And just keep moving towards that direction That's right. because That's right. you are, it's almost inherent that you probably would go seek out therapy at that point if you haven't. Because yeah. that's what you're I telling mean, yourself the, to the, do. Yeah. I, um, I run a group on Wednesday nights for um, exes of narcissists of who are, many of them are going through the divorce process or have recently been through it. I mean, the judicial system is just not equipped from a knowledge standpoint on narcissistic abuse. And the manipulation of the attorneys, the manipulation of just the system in general is so unbearable and so infuriating for me. I cannot imagine how it is for my patients, but the feelings of hopelessness that it triggers in, in these people is, is just a trigger for all the other stuff they have just gotten out of. And so it's, the divorce process is really difficult, which is why the support is so important, truly. So we need you on the stand more is what you're saying. I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Can you diagnose this person's narcissistic uh, abuse? Oh, gosh, um, yeah. No, that is a thing, yeah. But uh, yeah. I, I, I respect everyone trying to get better out of and away Listen, from all these situations. Strongest people, strongest people, hands down. Yeah, and they, you will I'm survive. telling you, strongest human beings I have ever met, truly and honestly, just in awe of them. Because once you're through this door, it's all over. Yeah, like Rebecca is, Zung. Yeah, she's a good. She's good. She's a divorce attorney who specializes in in kind of. Ooh. We're not specialists, but understands narcissism. She's a really good resource. Excellent. For sure. Good. I, did, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Good. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, real quickly. Um, are you ready to do a challenge before we leave? We have to say CPTSD five times fast and see if we don't screw it up. No, I'll screw it up. CPTSD, you, you CPTSD, 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 <laughs> CPTSD. I think I got that. It. See, but that's why you you do radio and podcasts and I do not. <laughs> the, hey, what are you talking about? I screwed up everything on this end, too, so. Um, um, oh, wait, I have to promote something really quick. Oh, yes, please do. Yes. So um, all of you who are watching or listening, go to my Instagram page. There is a recent post I am raising um, or donating, I should say, school supplies for a charter school in Philadelphia. We awesome. did it last year. It was a huge success. Um, so we want to beat it again this year. And the faces on these kids when they got these school supplies, I mean, it was absolutely like just I don't know, just made you happy. So um, there is information on my site. You can either mail stuff to me. If you're not local, if you're local, you can drop it off or you can pick it up. Um, Or you can buy an Amazon gift card, email it to me. My email address is on there and I will send you a receipt of um, the purchase that was made on your behalf so that this way I can send the stuff in directly to the school. Very, very awesome. Yes. Look at you being uh, uh, continuing to be great at uh, well everything you do. Uh, <laughs> I don't awesome, know about awesome. all that. Well, uh, like ninety three percent of it, seven uh, percent. Uh, you know. uh, you'll get there. You know. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm, no, doc- I'm too old. I'm already there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> too old. You're only 25. Remember? We celebrated that and everything. In That's the- true. That's true. Um, That's true. I, uh, I appreciate you, Dr. Z, more than anything. We, uh, we all appreciate yeah. you being here on Sunday night. As Kim affectionately says, Dorks with Bruplers, Sunday night at 8 p.m. Yes. That is uh, that is exactly. We us. were good this time. We were. I think this is. There weren't any like laughing. No. Too many laughing breaks, right? No, not too many. A few. I have I have both ear things in. My yes. phone didn't die. Nothing nothing bad happens yet. I didn't have to walk out of the studio and you know into a different spot. Into, so <laughs> into the is, woods somewhere. This, this is very good. <laughs> this is all very good. And again, uh, uh, we appreciate everyone listening to the podcast as well. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please go do so wherever you. Subscribe to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, and the rest are all up there as well. Follow Dr. Z at Dr. Z underscore psychologist. Follow me at John Barchard. That's B as in boy, A-R-C-H-A-R-D. And we will see you right here. Can you spell that again? (laughs) B-A-R-C-H-A-R-D. Thank you. Barchard or Barchard or Bouchard (laughs) if we are in French (laughs) Canada. And thank you guys for sharing all your stories. Please hit us up in the DMs if you want something discussed. Uh, you know, we, we hang around the anxiety, depression era uh, because, you know, that's, uh, well, where I'm coming from with a lot of this stuff. But we're, I'm, I'm open and curious about all of this because I think we just need to talk about mental health in general, have a better understanding of everything. And uh, no better person to do that with Dr. Z. So thank you so much. Thanks, John. Of course. Of that course. That was so nice. Uh, we will uh, we'll see you next week for sure. Okay. All right. Bye, everyone. Have a good night.